How's everyone doing? Good? Have a good new year? Are you all keeping your new year's resolutions so far? Yeah. Oh, wow, yeah, you are. Oh, wow. Well, better than me. Well done. Well done. Uh, if you, there are a f- plenty of seats, so if you're at the back and can't find a seat, there are plenty around if you come a bit further forward. Um, but welcome, particularly if this is your first time here. Uh, we know what it's like walking in a place like this full of a room full of people that you've never met before can be a daunting experience. So we're really glad that you're here. We hope you're enjoying your time with us and uh, feeling at home amongst us. Uh, if you have any questions about uh, our service, our church, um, how we worship, then please feel free to ask us. We'd love to answer those if we can. Um, we are in the book of Exodus. We were working through it towards the end of uh, last year, and we're just going to look at one verse today, which is verse 7 of chapter 20 of Exodus. So if you have a Bible with you, you might want to find that. If not, the, the will, oh, look, there you go. It will appear behind you as if by magic. I will try and control it from my device here. Dum, da, dum, dum, dum. What I thought was really great, I don't know if you noticed it earlier, but we had the band up on the stage and then Michiel was standing kind of in the corner there. I felt a bit sorry for him. Just sorry, Michiel. It was a bit like, it was a bit like the fifth Beatle, you know? He's kind of, he's a talented musician, so you know, he goes on tour and he goes in the recording studio, but he's not quite in the band, you know? Just has to stand at the back, make sure that no one knows he's there. But. You're quite tall, so we all saw you, so it didn't work. I don't know why I said that. Right, I think we should look at the Bible, don't you? Here we go. Okay, we're going to read, first of all, from verses 1 and 2. This is Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Uh, Which is, these are kind of the introductory verses to what follows in this chapter, which is kind of more famously known as the Ten Commandments. If we skip ahead to verse seven, he says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let me pray. Jesus, we, uh, uh, we want to start this new year uh, in the best way possible, which is to open up your word, this wonderful gift you've given us that speaks powerfully into the very depths of our souls, into our hearts. And we want to be transformed by you, Jesus, through your word, and we pray that that would happen today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to use these words to speak powerfully within us, to change us, and to lift our eyes to you, we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been working through these kind of Ten Commandments. This is the third of the Ten, uh, and the Ten Commandments Um, it's important why I read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20 because it puts it into the context of what we're talking about that these were instructions given to a people who had already been taken out 
of Egypt. They'd already been redeemed, rescued from their slavery. And then God gives them these commandments to kind of show them, I guess, what the good life looks like. And that's how we can read these as well. For those of us who are believers in Jesus here, we can read these words for us who have been rescued and redeemed, and we read them as words that show us what life at its best can look like when we follow God's ways and not not our own ways. And the, the Ten Commandments are kind of sort of broken into two sections. You've got the first four, which are very Godward, and talk about our relationship with God. And then the next six, the last six, then talk a little bit more about our relationships with one another and how that works together. And this one, this third one, might be the one that you most frequently would kind of skip over or think, well, this one, this one's the easy one, right? You know, I just don't, don't say bad words. I just don't blaspheme and then I'm okay. We can kind of think this is maybe even the least important of the 10, you might think. You know, it doesn't really matter. I just, you know, watch my tongue, say the right things, um, hope no one notices when I don't say the right things, and then, you know, I'm okay. But for us to really understand this, we've got to understand that this, this commandment, it really gets to the very root of who we really are. It gets to the very root of our motives and why we do things, where these things come from in our in our hearts. It says in, in Matthew, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What that means is when we say things, they don't just kind of come out as these kind of absent, loose phrases or sayings that have no connection with what's actually going on inside us. Often when we speak, it's a reflection of what's going on in our heart. It's kind of an an indicator, a signpost of what we really think, of what we really believe. Um, There's a connection between what we say and what goes on internally within our our souls. So when, when this commandment is talking about the language we use, It's not just about words and sayings and phrases. It gets to the very root of who we are, of our motives, of why we do things. You see, because in the Bible, uh, names, names have a lot of meaning attached to them. So when it says here that we shouldn't take the name of the Lord in vain, that's a really important thing it's saying. You know, when you name your kids, it's not like you just sort of randomly pick names you, you study them, you think, well, what, is, what does this name actually mean? You know, what is this, what's this going to say about this person? When we give them this name, what, what meaning does it have attached to them? For each of you, your name will have a, a meaning. It will have a reason that you've been given that name. And in the Bible, that's definitely true. People are given names with a reason, with a purpose. And the name of the, name of, of the Lord here... It's not just his name, it's not just he could have been called Dave or John or whatever, but was called the Lord. It represents something of his character, something of who he really is. The name comes of a sense of power and meaning and purpose. So when you bring that name into a context, you're not just saying a name, 
you bring the authority of God, the power of God into that context by using, by using that name. And to take his name in vain, to take it means we're, we're lifting it up, we're exalting it. We're kind of taking it sometimes even out of context and putting it in the wrong place would be to take his name in vain. And we're exalting him up to be something other than who he is. So let me give you an example to help you understand this. If I was to say, um, you know, God's told me that I should murder someone, we would obviously all say, no, he hasn't. <laughs> God hasn't told you to do that. Because we know that's, that would be against God's character. God's just not like that. He's not going to tell us to go and murder people. That's the language of a psychopath. No, God hasn't told you to do that. Although you might be using his name to justify your actions, we know it's not true because God's not like that. He does, that's not how he works. It's contrary to his character. Another way, uh, way to understand it would be, if, if I was to say, um, you know, I've lived here in, in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam, for four and a half years. If I told you that I'd moved here because I wanted to invade the country, okay, and I'm going to take it over, this is going to be my country, you would think that I was a lunatic. But if I was to say, oh, in the name of the Queen of England, I'm, good, I'm invading, okay? So this building here is now property of the Queen of England. You know, she owns, she owns the UK, she owns all the swans, and she owns this building right here. That's actually true. The Queen does own all the swans. It's true. It's in British law. So if you ever see a swan, that belongs to Lizzie, all right? Don't mess with it. So if I was to say, okay, I am now in the name of the Queen of England claiming this building as the property of the United Kingdom. Again, you'd probably say that I was insane, but you might take me a little bit more seriously, but I'd be lying because, you know, we all know that the Queen hasn't told me to do that. She would probably say, you know, one is not amused in the Queen uh, language. It's not, that's not true. That would be contrary to what the Queen would do to her character. I'm taking her name out of context. I'm using the authority that which she would have as the Queen of England, and I'm using it for my own purposes, to achieve my own ends. That would be bad. That would be wrong. And I'm not invading, just to make that perfectly clear. If anyone's listening on the recording at home, I'm not invading. Not yet, anyway. You see, but this, this command, on one hand, is about what we what we say, we should be truthful with our language. You know, Jesus says in the New Testament, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just speak plainly. Don't try and trick people and deceive people. We should be truthful in, in how we speak. We should keep our promises. We should use the name of God with honor. But actually, this, this commandment goes a little bit deeper than just our language. Because as we said at the start, what we speak out of the abundance, it comes from, from our, our heart. So this command actually goes a little bit deeper than that. It's not just about what we say. It's about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Which hypocrisy is when when you say one thing or you present a facade, you say, I'm like this, but then your actions, you do something completely different. You take a different track, you 
take a different course, you do something else. It's when we take the name of Jesus as Christians, if that's how you would describe yourself, then you have taken the name of Jesus upon yourself. I'm a Christian. But yet, I don't live like it. There's a a hypocrisy there. There's a sense of being a bit of a hypocrite there. And if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, then perhaps that's what your perception of Christianity is anyway. You think, well, that's just what Christians are like, aren't they? You know, they believe one thing and then they do a whole bunch of other things instead. They like, they, they like to condemn and to, to preach at us and to tell us things, but their life looks very differently from that. There was a survey that came out a couple of years ago that said 85% of people said that the Christians that they know are hypocrites. 85% of people said that's, that's how they saw Christians, at least the ones they knew anyway, as, as being hypocrites, as saying one thing but living another way. And hypocrisy is, well, first of all, it's, it's a pretend authenticity. It's pretending to be authentic and real and kind of, this is who I really am, but it's just a pretense. It doesn't really mean anything. So I'm sure you would all know the, uh, the coffee-chained uh, Starbucks. Well, they've started launching what cynical people call stealth Starbucks, where they're launching coffee houses that uh, uh, appear to be independent, as in they don't have any Starbucks branding or logos. You wouldn't know by going there, unless you looked really hard, that it was a Starbucks coffee house. So the first one they launched uh, was called, I think it was in Seattle, and it was called Roy Street Coffee and Tea. So you would go there and think you were going to Roy Street Coffee and Tea, um, and they're, they're trying to present this kind of authentic, kind of rustic, independent coffee house kind of feel, but yet all the money that you give them goes to Starbucks, and all the staff are employed by it's Starbucks. It's just under a different name. It's a different identity. It's trying to be kind of really authentic, right? But completely missing it. And yet we can live exactly the same way. We can put up a, a pretense of we, we, can, we can let people into certain aspects of our life, but not show them other bits of our life. We can present a certain persona, a certain image of who we are, but not let people really get in beneath the surface. I guess really it's, a, it's an issue of transparency. You know, Starbucks aren't being very transparent, because you go to it, you see one thing, and actually it's not true. And yet we can have that same problem where we're not transparent. That people will look at us and not really be able to see what's really going on. They just get an image of facade instead of a pretense coming at them. That's maybe a good question to ask yourself at the start of this year is, who really knows you? Is there anyone that you could say, they really know me? Or if, if they asked me a question, I could, I could, I'd feel comfortable to give them an honest answer every time. I'm sure for a lot of us, we think, oh, I'm not sure, does anyone really know me? I think that's an important question to have. I think it's an important thing to have in your life. People that, that know you, know what you're really like. You're good and you're bad. Who can walk with you and stand with you through the difficult seasons in life, 
through your ups and your downs, your failures, your mistakes? Who really knows what you're like and can stand with you in those moments? Who can you be transparent with? So hypocrisy can be a, a pretend authenticity. It can also be a pretend virtue or a pretend kind of morality. You know, it could be the, the celebrity who's, who's taken up a particular issue and is ranting about it and is passionately getting angry about how people always do this one bad thing. But then a few weeks later, you find out that they're even worse. It happens all the time, doesn't it? We have this pretend virtuousness where we, 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 we want to show off how good we are, the good deeds we've done, but really, it's a pretense. When you get beneath the surface, we see something, something different all the time. It's how a lot of people use social media. They call it virtue signaling. We just send off these signals, these messages, these images, displaying how virtuous you are. Look at what a great parent I am. You know, look at how well-behaved my kids are. Look, look at what a great job I've done today. Look at this piece of art I've produced. It's not necessarily bad putting those things on social media, but if you're not careful, all the time you're just presenting this picture of what your life, what you'd, you'd like people to see your life as. The image that you'd like to present, you're just functioning as your own PR agency. You're just doing your own marketing. Just presenting this really positive, wonderful, glamorous, virtuous, moral image of yourself. But it just, can be just a, a pretense. There's a verse in, in Matthew where Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, and um, it says this, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And hypocrisy, it, it wants to be seen, right? I know that's so often a, uh, a temptation I can find in my own heart, is I want people to see the good things I've done. Not the bad things, the good things. I want people to spot them, to notice them. That's often what we're trying to present. We want people to see how holy we are, these wonderful things that we've done, how much we pray. And yet Jesus says that we shouldn't do it just so that we're seen. He actually tells us to go away, find a quiet room, lock yourself in. Just prayer is about us coming before God. And he's getting right at the very heart of this hypocrisy that we can have that wants to be seen. It wants to show off some kind of virtue. And hypocrisy is also, it's, I guess ultimately, it's kind of a, it's a pretend worship. Because what happens is we can just end up kind of trivializing faith and God. We can take the kind of weighty, wonder of who he is and we can strip it of all its meaning, all its weight and importance because we just use it to, to work out our own ends and our own purposes. And it's not real worship coming from us, it's just a pretense so people can see us and be impressed by us. 
And often the Bible uses this word hypocrisy to basically just mean godlessness. When Jesus is confronting people who aren't following him, but are pretending to follow God, this is what he calls them, hypocrites. Again and again and again, you find all the way through the Gospels, Jesus again and again confronts people and calls them hypocrites. And what he's saying is, you're not worshipping me. You're worshipping other things. You're worshipping yourself. You're definitely not worshipping me. That's what he says again and again. He confronts them. Hypocrites. He keeps using that word over and over. Actually, the best way to describe the word, if you get to the root of what that word actually means, it means to, to play act. That's how they would have used it in the, the original Greek Hypocrisy would be to, to play act, to, to be an actor, to perform. And that's so often how we live our lives, just as a, a performance. We almost kind of take upon the, the character of us that we would like people to see and present, we, we, we act out that life. The glamorous, virtuous, authentic me. That's the one we perform on the stage of our life but it's not real, or at least it's, it's a distortion of what's real. It's got some hints of what's real, some suggestions, but it's not really the real thing. Jesus confronts the hypocrites in Matthew 23, and he says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, few are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. That's, that's strong language, right? It's like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful, but inside there's just deadness. That's how Jesus confronts hypocrisy. It's just you're whitewashing something, you're painting over something. You're just play acting, just performing, just pretending. Yet Jesus, he knows what we're really like. He cuts through all of that. You know, and the people around you might be deceived. Those even closest to you, they might be deceived. But Jesus isn't. He sees right to your very heart. He knows what you're like. It's funny, just before uh, Christmas, I was talking to uh, uh, someone's parents who were here on a Sunday, and he's, uh, he works for the, the ballet company in the city. And they told me the night before they'd been to see one of his performances, and his mum was telling me that they didn't know when he was going to be on the stage and when he wasn't because as well as performing his own part in the ballet, he was also he was filling in for someone else who was sick. So he'd not been able to tell his mum and dad when he was going to be on the stage. So they were constantly looking out. So, Is that him in that costume with all that? Because he wears some quite extravagant outfits and makeups when he's in the ballet. And they were constantly, you know, right up on the, in the seats, looking down on the stage, trying to fit. Is that him? Is, that, is, that, is he over there? Is he that one? And they spent the whole play trying to figure out when he was on stage and when he wasn't on stage. And so often people can spend their lives looking at us thinking, is, that, is, that, is, he, is he like that or is he like this? Is, who is he? 
Who, who is this guy? What's he really like? And we can just live like we're just putting on our own performance, our own play, these whitewashed tombs. And what hypocrisy does is, first of all, it, it deceives people. That's the reality of it, isn't it? It's just a deception. We're just deceiving people. We're just leading people astray. We're just pretending that we're something when we're not. It's just a lie. It's just a deception. And what happens is you'll just, you'll end up, you just drive people away from you because they won't be able to know who you are. You know, we don't enjoy spending time with people that we don't really ever feel like we get to know them. You know, when you've had those friendships and you think, I've known this person for a really long time and yet I don't really know them. You ever felt like that? I've been friends with this person for years and yet somehow I don't feel like I know them. And when you start to feel like that, you think, well, I don't want to invest in this friendship anymore if I don't really know them. You know, I want to invest in friendships that are going to do me good and that are going to do them good, where we can know and love each other. But if I'm always feeling like, ah, I just don't really feel like I know this guy. Maybe you're just being deceived. Maybe you're deceiving other people. That's what hypocrisy does, it deceives. It also, not only does it just deceive other people, but it, it injures ourselves. It's really important you understand this because often we, we, we do this because we're trying to protect ourselves. That's the lie that you tell yourself. I, I can't tell this person, I can't let them know what I'm really like because that will hurt me. Something, there will be bad consequences. So we do, it's an, it's an act of self-defense, an act of protection to put up the barriers to not let people see what you're really like because you're worried that you'll lose your reputation. They won't like you anymore. That they won't want to be your friend anymore. Maybe they'll even tell other people how bad you are. And there is a risk in letting people know what you're really like. I can't tell you now that everyone is going to be like, oh, finally, and just give you a big bear hug. I think they probably will, but I can't guarantee that. There's a risk in opening yourself up to people. There is. And you'll, you'll always feel that kind of edginess. Can I really be myself around this person? But in my experience, when you take that risk, it will do you good. It will, every time. Even if they don't necessarily respond in the best way, at least there's a, an, an honesty and there's a reality and there's a truth in that relationship that you'll find there's a release for your soul there. There's a freedom there that you can walk into. And most of the time you'll find, or in my experience I've found, when I'm really honest with people, I find that then that gives them permission to then be honest with me. And you, you're able to open up a, a conversation and a dialogue able to be really honest with one another. And this idea that by putting up this defense, by not letting people in, that you're protecting yourself is, you just need to die to that idea now, because it's just not true. 
It's not true. Actually, you're doing yourself more harm. You're injuring yourself again and again by not letting people in to who you really are. Deceives others, it injures yourself, and ultimately, it offends God. <laughs> it offends God. That's what it says here in this, in this verse. If you not take the name of the Lord God, your God in vain, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If we go back a few verses to verse 5, it says, you shall not bow down to them. This is talking about idolatry or serve them. For the I, the Lord your God, am a, am a jealous God. God's got this jealous love for you. So when we try and deceive God, when we live in this hypocrisy, it offends God because he knows it's not what you're really like. And he's got this jealous love for you. She wants you to engage in. He wants you to enjoy the fullness of it. And when we, we hold ourselves back from that and we live in this hypocrisy, we've actually just made a decision in our heart that we'd rather, we'd rather just worship ourselves. You know, I can, it's, it's easier if I don't let other people in. It's easier if I even try to pretend before God that I'm something else because it's just easier that way. And I can just lie and just kind of get through life and I can kind of muddle through by living in my own little bubble. In the end, what you've done is you've, you've turned away from God and you've turned to just ultimately trying to keep yourself happy. You're just worshiping yourself. You're not worshiping God at all. That's what hypocrisy is. It's just turning within ourselves. And God gives us this this warning, he says to us really clearly, he will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that might sound a bit harsh, but if we go back to the passage we read from Matthew 23 a little earlier where it talks about the whitewashed tombs, it goes on, it doesn't. We don't have that scripture, so I'm just going to have to read it to you. It goes on to say this. In Matthew 23, seven times, Jesus says to the hypocrites, woe to you. And then it kind of concludes in the end of the chapter where he, you can imagine Jesus just kind of looking them in the eye, just eyeballing them. And then he says this, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell. It's pretty strong language, right? If someone came into my office for a nice kind of pastoral meeting and told me, you know, how they were doing, and I told them that they were going to be sentenced to hell, then they probably wouldn't come back. <laughs> that conversation wouldn't go well. And Jesus is using this strong language for a reason, because... He knows that they're not worshipping him. These Pharisees, these hypocrites, they're not accepting him as their saviour, as their Lord. They've rejected him in their hearts. So actually, he's just telling them the truth. 
He's not trying to shock them or offend them. He's just saying, look, this is the reality. You've set your heart on something else. You're not worshipping me, you're worshipping these other idols, these false gods. So this is what your sentence is. It's hell. It's, it's Jesus is just telling them the painful truth, which is harsh language for sure. And this hypocrisy, it's, it's for us, it's, it's ultimately, it's a failure for us to follow our true identity. Because the good news for you is that you're not, if you're a believer in Jesus here, you're not like the Pharisees and the scribes and the hypocrites that Jesus is confronting in Matthew 23. Because I said at the start, these Ten Commandments are for, for those who have already been redeemed, who've already been rescued, have been pulled out of slavery. But it means when we live in a, in a hypocritical way, when we present one image but actually something else is true, what we're doing really is we're just, we're, we're not living up to our true identity. That's, that's the real problem. And I don't mean that, I don't mean that kind of deep down there's something within us that really needs to come out, you know, who you really are needs to be seen. But ultimately, there's, it's Christ in you needs to be seen. Because that's the true reality of who you really are is what Jesus has done for you. That Jesus is at work in you, through you. That he now lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit. And that's the true reality of who you really are. So being a hypocrite as a believer is, is people just not seeing Christ in you. Because that's who you really are. And using the name of Jesus to, pr- to use it for, for other means, to promote ourselves, to show off our own virtues and power and authority and robbing it away from Christ. That's what hypocrisy is. We're not living worthy of this name he's given us as Christians, as believers in him. And that's what, that's what sin does in our life. It just leads us to deny our true identity and take up any other false identity that, that we think is going to serve us better. And what I don't want to do is, at the start of this new year, is just, you know, give you another resolution to follow. 2019, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. (laughs) What does that look like? (laughs) How do you work that out in your life? I don't want you to go away with a solution of, "I've I've just got to try a bit harder. I've got to try to be less hypocritical. And there might be some practical things that you need to do. You might need to, to go home and, and tell someone. You don't have to give them your whole life story, but maybe just let them in on a part of your life that you've not let them in on before. Maybe something that you've never told anybody before. It could be your wife, your husband, a friend, a family member. It might be a good first step for you is just to, to go and have an honest conversation with someone. And that, as I said, that's a risky thing. 
It takes faith and courage. But it will do you good. It will do you good. But really the answer isn't for us just to go and try a bit harder, but it's something else instead. It says in In Ezekiel, it says this, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So God's speaking to the Israelites. This is many, many years on from the Exodus story. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll find the story of the Israelites is is, you know, they make promises, covenants with God, and then they break them, and they do it time and again. They say, God, yes, we're going to follow you. We can, yes, yeah. We're going to have this big praise party. Yes, Jesus is amazing. And then they forget. And they just go and live their own way. Sounds a bit like us, doesn't it? You know? We make these resolutions in our heart. Yes. And then it can fizzle out so quickly. But then it goes on to say, a few verses later, where God makes this promise of what's going to happen. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. I'll give you a new heart. A new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Because when we read those words of Jesus about being a whitewashed tomb, those words can, and I I hope they do, startle you and shock you a little bit. Think, oh man, Am I just being like that? I've just painted this facade. I've Instagrammed this image of what I'm like. But inside, I'm not like that at all. But yet the answer that, that God gives us to us here in, in, uh, in Ezekiel is that the, those dead bones, the uncleanness inside of the tomb, we, you can't clean yourself from that. It's the work of God within you. He says, I I will sprinkle water upon you. I will clean you from all your uncleannesses. I'll cleanse you from all the idols that you've followed. And this passage in Ezekiel is looking forward to what Jesus comes and does for us. He comes and he makes us guiltless. He cleanses us from our sins. And not only that, but what happens is he puts this new heart within us and he fills us with the Holy Spirit to cause us to walk in the statutes of God, to to help us to follow these rules. Because as we go through these Ten Commandments week by week, we're going to find week by week that Again and again, we don't hit the mark. <laughs> again and again, we thought, oh, I've not, I thought I'd got that one nailed, but I haven't. 
I thought I was doing quite well in that one, but obviously I'm not. And we're not doing this to week after week condemn you, but to every week to point you back to Jesus and say, he's the only way. He's the only way. He's the one that cleanses you from all your sin. Comes and presents you guiltless before the Father. Comes and works his righteousness within you. I don't want you to go away and think, I just need to, I just need to go away and work really hard to present myself as holy, because that's just another kind of hypocrisy. But we can come and we can know his spirit within, within us. It's cleansed us and helps us to stand in him, to follow him, to walk in him. Let me pray. Jesus, we, we thank you, God, that even though we, we don't keep our promises, we say things and we don't mean them, we do things that pretend to follow you, but they're not really, they're for our own purposes and our own ends. We present an authentic image of ourself, but really it can often just be a, another form of deceit, another lie. But I thank you that we follow one who does keep his promises, a God who is faithful, a God who does what he says. And we know that because we can read these verses in Ezekiel, and we've, we know that you, you've done it. Our hearts of stone, with promise to us that you'd replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. We, we know it's happened now through Jesus. We can look upon your cross, upon your death and resurrection, and we can see real authentic life. That's come and died for us and cleansed us from all our hypocrisy the wonderful truth of who you are, the perfect truth of who you are and what you've done sets us free. We want to stand in the goodness of what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.